Our reading this morning is Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. So today we start a new series, and you can see it's going to be a series on the fruit of the Spirit. I'm going to introduce the subject this morning, and then for about 10 weeks, including this one, we'll be taking a look at one fruit or another on any given Sunday morning. I want to begin, though, with an image that I'm, I'm going to ask you to imagine, okay? Hold this image in mind for a minute. The swinging of a pendulum in perfect harmony, not out of order, just swinging. Actually, when I think of that, I think of a particular place. It happens to be my mother's living room. Because in my mother's living room, there is a very large grandfather clock, which was actually handmade by a friend of the family, especially for my mother and father. When wound correctly, as the pendulum swings, it keeps perfect time. Now, that's a thing of beauty, that kind of pendulum swing. On the other hand, there could be what you call a wild pendulum swing, out of control, all over the place, going from here to there and back and forth in all kinds of extremes. That's another kind of pendulum swing. Actually, when I think about that kind of pendulum swing, <laughs> I think of a funny thing. When my kids were young, we went to an amusement park. I didn't think to ask them if it was the right one. I, I think it might have been Disney World. And part of our experience was to get in these so-called race cars that were on a track. And you know how those race cars are on a track. You can't quite keep it straight. You try to keep it straight, but when you get off, it just you bang and you go back and forth, and it's really hard to stay on track. And the point is to to stay on track. And so the whole family's in individual cars, and my son David and I are out front, and we are diligently trying to stay on the track and keep it going, and we hear hilarious laughter behind us. And both of us, serious about our driving, turn around, and it's my daughter. I don't know. She might have been 12. And she just had her hands up in the air, and it was banging back and forth and back and forth. No semblance of control at all. She was having a blast. Now, if you know anything about my daughter, that's kind of her personality. It's just jump in, right? That, to me, is a humorous pendulum swing, but really... There is the kind of pendulum swing that, well, it's devastating. It's like moving from one extreme to the other. It's, shall we say, an overcorrection. Sometimes about this time of the year, we do something similar to that. Whether it's about weight loss or habits or any number of other things. 
we get incredibly radical and we say, I'm changing everything and we swing in an extreme direction. The point of those illustrations is to remind you of what the Apostle Paul was saying to the Christians in Galatia. For about the first four chapters of the book of Galatians, Paul talks about one end of a pendulum swing. And that end of the pendulum swing is called slavery to the law. Paul says, I don't want you to go there. But the other end of the pendulum swing, which he doesn't talk about a lot, just a little at the end of the book, is the pendulum swing that takes you towards ridiculous sin. Paul says, I don't want you to be a slave to the law, and I don't want you to be a slave to sin. I want you to play it right down the middle, which is to live in the Spirit. So to begin with, when Paul is instructing them at the end of chapter 4, beginning chapter 5, he makes this statement. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And then in verse 7, he makes this interesting parallel. He says, you were running a good race. You were on track. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion, the one who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth, that kind of persuasion does not come from the one who called you, namely Jesus Christ. So what is Paul saying? Paul's saying, I introduced you folks at Galatia to the grace of Jesus Christ, living not under the law, but under grace. Now, Paul is not discounting, let's say, for instance, the moral law of God. You hear that later. He's interested in us living the moral law of God. But he's talking about all the other rules and regulations that are associated with the old covenant. And he says, those are no longer necessary. We have moved into a new era. It's the era of grace in Jesus Christ. And I want you to live by faith through the grace of Jesus Christ. I love the image, don't you, of the runner? It's a great image. Um, Some of you have probably heard, even if you're not runners, of a runner's high or like being in a groove, right? You're in the groove. You're in a runner's high. Um, I used to do half marathons, and I was going to do 50 states, but I stopped short at 15. I'm not running anymore like that. Every once in a while, I run a little bit, not that long anymore. But I can remember getting in a runner's groove or a runner's high. And it was uh, when I was running a half marathon. It was about mile two, and it lasted for about 50 yards, right? (laughs) And that was the last runner's high I can ever remember having, It was just slugging along from then, right? But for those who are elite athletes or for those who are good athletes, they know what that is. They know the groove. They know the runner's high or they know the sweet swing or they know how to throw that pitch just right. And it's almost effortless. 
Paul said, you were there. You were running. It was almost effortless. You were in the Spirit. And then somebody cut you off. What happened? To play the sport analogy a little bit more, they started listening to another coach. Somebody started whispering in their ear. And they started saying, hey, this following Jesus stuff, really good. But you need to add something else to it to make it better. Paul says, no, you don't need to add anything. Now, the other part of the pendulum swing is not just slavery to the law. It's slavery to sin. Paul goes on to say at the end of the book, having said, I don't want you to be a slave to law, also don't want you to be a slave to sin. And then he lists what slavery to sin looks like. He says the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. That's a laundry list of sin. And a lot of times, what we think of is the ones that are boringly simple and obvious. Don't be a drunkard. Well, no kidding. Don't get involved in orgies. All right, I get that. But let's not focus on those, okay? We know about those things. Let's focus on something else that's a little bit closer and a little bit harder. Actually, much harder. He said, I don't want you to be a slave to what you might call the sins of the Spirit either. And one of those sins of the Spirit is hatred. I don't want you to be enslaved by hatred. It is slavery, you know. When you hate someone else, they are not the victim. You are. Your hatred might have some effect on them, but mostly it's eating you up on the inside. Don't be a slave to hatred, says Paul. Also, don't be a slave to discord. That is like stirring things up. Have you ever been there before because you just, for whatever reason, are irritated, annoyed, and you don't want to be at peace? And you don't want anybody else to be at peace? So whatever you do, you do to make sure that things are stirred up. Like you're always looking for a fight. Like you're always trying to rob somebody else's peace. You realize what kind of slavery that is? It's a slavery to discord. You will not allow, in those moments, you will not allow peace to invade your heart. And you sure are not going to allow it to be a part of the life of others. When I, when I look at this list, I think to myself, oh my, I've been all of these. Or how about jealousy or envy, sometimes used interchangeably? If you're consumed by envy or jealousy of another, you don't 
when you think about it, you don't so much want what they have. You just don't want them to have it. That is a sorry place to live. That is slavery. Fits of rage. Fits of rage is a form of slavery too. Why? You're out of control. When you're in a fit of rage, you have no control over self. So often, um, we understand that only in retrospect when we come out of it. We realize we were entrapped by our rage. Or how about selfish ambition? Selfish ambition. Let's just make it simple. It's all about me. That's an awful place to live. It's really a form of cannibalism. You're eating yourself alive. At first, when you live out your sin, whatever it is, and this list or other sins, it almost seems like you're living out freedom. It seems like you're making a choice to act out or live out or be something that you're not supposed to be. And it seems like freedom until you begin to realize, and you have, right? I know I have. I begin to realize that my choice is no longer my choice. The choice that I made for sin is conforming me to its image. The sin is now choosing me. I'm no longer choosing sin. It's got me by the throat. So Paul says, I don't want you to live under the law. That's one extreme. That's crazy because you've been given grace in Jesus Christ. But also don't you want you to live in such a way that you say, I've been given grace so it doesn't make any difference what I do. I'll just live however. No, he says, that's a form of slavery too. Where does he want you to live? In the spirit. Because that's a different way of living. And that's what you were made for, says Paul. Now the question that will be our question for the next nine weeks, but how? How do you live in the Spirit? In each of those fruit of the Spirit that we explore, we're going to ask that question, really. How do we live there? But before we enter into each of those individual fruits of the Spirit, let's just think about how one would live in the Spirit. A number of years ago, um, I um, think I was having a 40-year-old midlife crisis or something. I can admit that now that I'm 57 because it doesn't matter anymore. But I think I probably was, and I bought a motorcycle. And my wife told me at the time, she agreed to the motorcycle, thought it was fine. She just said, if you're going to have a midlife crisis, I would assume it be a motorcycle as some other woman. I thought, man, that's really good. Um, so I can do the motorcycle. It'll be good. We, we started riding the motorcycle, and she described it as an unexpected joy. Now, my wife is not a risk taker. If you know my wife, that's not the kind of thing she does. 
And riding motorcycles is a bit risky, right? And it's kind of stupid sometimes. And our kids complained about it so much that I finally sold the thing. But anyway, the first real ride we ever took was to Brown County, to Nashville. And um, my wife tells this story, and she tells it so beautifully, I can't quite believe it was exactly like this because I look way too good in her story. I look very patient and kind. But she said, this is the way it happened. She said, we went to Brown County, and you know what, leaving Bloomington and going to 46 out to Brown County, it's this all the way out, right? Up and down, sideways, back and forth. Went out there, and we had a, a wonderful little lunch at our art cafe or something like that, whatever it's out there, and it was good food, and we had a good time, and then we walked back to the motorcycle where I had parked it, and she reached down to get her helmet to put it on, and I just stopped her. This is her, this is the way she describes it now. I'm not trying to make myself sound good. She says it. She said, he reached over to me and took me by the shoulders like that and made me face him, and she said, he said, dear, I really enjoy this, but the only way it's going to work is if you work with me. And my wife is saying, work with me? I'm not driving the motorcycle. And then I said, on every curve on the way out here, when I leaned right, you leaned left. (laughs) And I remember that very well. Because when somebody on a motorcycle behind you moves the opposite direction, it does this to you, right? You don't feel like you have full control. It's momentum. You have to stay with it. Later, she said on a couple of different occasions, it turned out to be a metaphor for a good marriage. That's why I got rid of the motorcycle, because I didn't want to be compared to a good ride. Uh, no, it's not true. But it, the point is, it, it, was, it was beautiful, right? It's the synergy. It's a beautiful thing. Paul didn't ride a motorcycle, but he did have an image about living in the Spirit. And it's an equally good image. It's keep step with the Spirit. It's like, don't run ahead. Don't try to make yourself better than you are. Don't pretend. Just walk in the Spirit. What's it look like? Faith exhibited in love. Love for God and love for others. Just walk in the Spirit. In order to walk with Christ in the Spirit, in order to ride a motorcycle with somebody else, there's some sense in which you have to surrender. Right? You can't do it otherwise. One of my favorite all-time hymns is Take My Life and Let It Be. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow with ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of Thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for Thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only 
for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Take my silver and my gold. That means everything. Not a single mite, tiny little thing would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. That's the hardest one, isn't it? Take my heart, it is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. Take my love. You know, not all love is correct. We have disordered loves. Take my love. My Lord, I pour. At thy feet its treasures store. Take myself, and I will be always only all for thee. To stay in step with the Spirit, it involves surrender. I can't imagine staying in the step of the Spirit without surrender. It seems like there's at least a third thing that staying in step with the Spirit means. In order to stay in step with the Spirit, you have to cultivate a relationship. Because you could turn the fruit of the Spirit into another set of rules and regulations. You could start measuring your progress in terms of joy or peace or this or that. And that's never the way God wants us to follow Him. God wants us to follow Him, to live in the Spirit in relationship with Him. Some of you here have been married for a long time. Others of you are not yet married. And you may be in a relationship. But I know when you move into a serious relationship, because I did it once, something changes. When I moved into that relationship with the one I loved, really, I was doing my best to get to know her. I wanted to know what she loved. I wanted to know what she hated. I wanted to know her like I wanted to know myself. So if you're going to live in the Spirit, if you're going to walk like this, it means that that kind of passion ought to be directed towards God. You ought to want to know God, to know Him. Not just say, I believe. To put it in the words of the epistle of James, so what? The devils say they believe, and they tremble. James says, I want more than that from you. And the Scripture says, I want more than that from you. I want you to passionately pursue God as if you're in relationship with Him. How does that happen? It happens in so many different ways, but I can't imagine it happening without study of the Word. I honestly can't. How are you going to know God without understanding what God said? How are you going to really know God without reading his letters? If you're in relationship with God, you really ought to be serious about his word. Second thing you ought to be serious about is prayer. 
Because if you're in a relationship with someone else and you refuse to read their letters or now their texts or emails, they would say, you don't know me. You don't care about me. And if you're in a relationship with someone personally in this church or somewhere else and you don't communicate with them, how long do you think that relationship's going to go on? So in order to follow God and live in the Spirit, you dedicate yourself to the study of who God is. You dedicate yourself to prayer, communication with God. And quite frankly, I know this is a pastor talking, but hear it. You dedicate yourself to being in worship with others. I can't imagine following God by myself. I am so screwed up and get things so twisted and turned around. But in the community of the Christ followers that I love and in worship itself, my life and my mind and my heart are reoriented week after week after week. If you're going to be in relationship with God, I think those things are essential. The final thing I want to mention about keeping in step with the Spirit is you can't force it. You you can't smash a round peg into a square hole or vice versa. You can't tough it out. You can't just try really hard to be joyful. Yeah, try that sometime. It's not going to work. You don't force it. You live in it. So there's a game that I love that I'm not any good at, but I have made a commitment to myself and to others to renew my passion for the game in the spring when the IU golf course is finished and we start golfing again. There are so many metaphors in sports for what I just described. But allow me the metaphor of golf. For those of you who have played golf, you know what it means when the swing is just right. There's a sweet spot. There's some sort of motion. Just perfect. When you hit it, you almost feel like you didn't do anything. The ball just flies. No vibration in the hands. Just feels like you swung your arms and something happened. Uh, Because of that and other reasons, I like golf movies. And one of the top five golf movies is a movie, um, The Legend of Bagger Vance. You ever seen it? Love that movie really more about life than it is golf, and it's kind of sappy at some points, but that's okay. The Legend of Bagger Vance, I want to give you a lead up to it, and then I want to show you a clip. Um, This this gentleman who was a captain in the army in the story came back from World War I, and he was devastated by the losses he'd experienced. He'd fallen into alcoholism, and his life was a wreck, but they were putting together a golf tournament in Savannah, Georgia. They had Bobby Jones and Walter Hagen and big names like that, and they wanted to get one guy from Savannah to be a part of it, so they they chose him or convinced him to play. 
ran off Junah, was his name. Junah is, is standing late at night trying to get his swing back, and he's hitting into the darkness, actually into like a, a hill. And he just keeps hacking away at the ball. And like my balls often do, it just kept slicing off into the whatever was out there. And all of a sudden, out of the darkness, straight on at the tee, facing Juna, a man appears. It's Will Smith. Got a hat on. <laughs> he walks up to the tee and he said, Juna says to him, man, what are you doing? I could have killed you. He said, no, I, I, I had it figured out. If I just walked straight to the tee, you'd never hit me because you were always off over here. And then Will Smith becomes Bagger Vance, of course, and he takes care of him as his caddy. But Bagger Vance knows a lot more about golf than anybody realized. And he starts teaching him things. And in the clip that I'm about to show you, I, the audio is not as good as the video. I just wanted to give you a heads up. Bagger Vance is counseling Juna to find his swing, or as he says most of the time, find the field. And whenever Juna doesn't want to do it or doesn't understand it, Bagger Vance says, just watch Bobby Jones. Bobby Jones is an amateur golfer who never turned pro but won the Grand Slam, all four major tournaments, won 13 tournaments before he was 28 and retired officially at 28. Now, for those of you who don't know much about sport history, Jack Nicklaus won 18 major tournaments, and it didn't happen until he was in his 40s. Bobby Jones at 28 just said, I'm done. Walked off the course. It's kind of like his swing. Just easy. Here's the clip. Yeah, you could go a lot of places with that, right? New age philosophy. All kinds of stuff, but I want to pull you back to just one thing. Bagger Vance said at one point, there's a swing out there for everybody. What you got to do is let it choose you and then get out of the way. I think what we need to do is let God choose us and get out of the way and let him do his work in us to produce the fruit of the Spirit. It's not easy, but it can happen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your gift of grace. We're sure that we couldn't become what we even want to be ourselves without grace. We know we couldn't become the righteousness of God without grace. But because of Jesus Christ, you have stood in our place, and you have given us grace. And you tell us to do one simple, profound, and often difficult thing. Just stay out of the way.
quit trying to be that and just love you with all our heart and follow you with all our heart and soul and mind and strength and let the fruit blossom naturally. We pray that you will allow that to happen. And we know you can. In Christ's name, amen.